what are the key metrics you are graded on, right? If we're thinking about Uber Eats, um, what are the key metrics that they're graded on that's going to keep their customers or their restaurants on the platform, right? It's going to be number of orders, right? Revenue, maybe even page views, right? So how much more marketing are we getting for you? And so that's really this first step is what's the point? What, what are those metrics that you want to be graded on that you want to show back to them? This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network. Available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, 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 business storytellers. How's everyone doing today? We want to talk about how do we visualize data? And here's the thing. First of all, I'm so excited about this show because number one, I love data. Number two, I love looking at data in a way that actually makes sense. And that makes it easy for me. The days of me having to go to different places to find three things, go to eight places to find three things. Oh my God, you got this old guy going on that topic. Uh, we don't need that. So I'm very excited to talk with Dave Hurd. He's the CEO at Verb Data about this topic. Why do we need it? Um, how do we do it? And what does Verb Data do um, exactly? So let's get him out of the green room. I'm sure he's enjoying our hospitality in there, but let's dive into the topic. Dave, Really glad to have you on the show. Hey, Christoph. Thanks for having me. So, you know, what's interesting to me is, yes, people want data, but it's so difficult sometimes to even keep track of things, to to, to show what it means and, and, and whatnot. So can it, give me your spiel on how does that look like to you in the market? Like, you know, you know where are the down, downfalls, where are the opportunities, and, and how do we make it easier for people to actually do this? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I think a lot about the data analytics problem as the typical iceberg problem, right? You see above the surface, this sm small little piece of ice, but below the surface, there's this huge, massive block of ice that, you know, took down the Titanic. And data is kind of a similar process where you see these charts and graphs on a nice, pretty dashboard, but there's a lot of work that goes into getting data ready for those nice charts and graphs, like you mentioned. Um, and so in your example, right, there were three sources of data. We have to bring those things together and then be able to visualize that. So really what we're seeing in the market is a lot of tools, a lot of work around how do we wrangle this data together um, to then be able to visualize it. But then there's really um, not a really great solution to kind of bring those things together in both bringing data together and then visualizing it all in one place. And that's certainly some a problem that's worth fixing, and and I'm sure you're working on that. Uh, but but before we get there, tell me. So I've been throwing around the term data, right? And mm -hmm. and data could be a gazillion different things, right? Specifically, what kind of data do you focus on, and and what's that data that you bring together in one place? Yeah, exactly. So we primarily work with software as a service companies. So we help their development teams bring their data together, and then visualize that data for their end customers. So we're really looking at different types of 
data that our customers are, are working with or ingesting. Um, so think about e-commerce data, right? So you're helping sell products online. Uh, there's lots of data around not just products and, and revenue, but also conversion rates, um, source channels, you know, referral programs. There's lots of data there. So we really help our customers wrangle their first-party data, um, whether that's e-commerce data, procurement data, anything like that, uh, and then um, transform that, right? So you think about the um, raw data that lives in databases you know, across the internet. It's not always what needs to be shown on a chart, right? You need to um, slice and dice it in different ways. And so we give a lot of tools to help make that really simple to slice and dice that data. And then the last part there is, Right, giving the end customers the access to that data so they can do what they want with it. And that's really important, right? Um, it's one thing to present data back to customers. It's another to give them the tools to be able to do what they want with that data. And so that's really the value add on top of all this data that we're, we're helping provide. And I mean, really, it sounds like, you know, business intelligence, right? BI, I mean, and that's been around for, for, for a long time. But how has business intelligence, from your perspective, how has it evolved? And, and again, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've been in plenty BI tools that are just, oh, my God, like the usability. And of course, I don't know, maybe usability or, or user friendliness is not mm -hmm. is a newer term, so to speak. Uh, but how has that area evolved? Like how, do, you know, I mean, it's been around for decades and now how do we, how, how, where are we today and how has it moved forward? Yeah, I think it's a good call out, right? Business intelligence has been around for a long time. Uh, and we think about business intelligence as, right, ad hoc analysis, really doing, uh, pulling data that you might have a question about and trying to figure out the answer, right? Um, which is different than thinking about product analytics that you might be sharing back to your customers, right? Because you want to curate that for them. Uh, and it's a little bit less about the true ad hoc analysis for end customers. Um, you really want to give them the right experience and the curate the, the data that you, the story that you want to tell. And I think that's where, you know, the traditional BI tools, they started very technical, right? Uh, writing SQL, um, really having to understand data science pretty in depth. And they've been trying to work their way towards more of the, the newer, like no code style solutions where you don't have to know that much. But the problem is, is data is complex, right? And so building a system that feels simple around a very complex topic is not an easy task. And so, you know, the, the big juggernauts of the world do a fantastic job but they're really focused on that ad hoc analysis and not helping you serve up stories to your end customers. And so that's what we're really focused on. You know, and the one thing that got me to sit up even straighter than I'm already sitting here is when you talked about no code builders and, and certainly what's interesting to me is um, we still need developers. We still need people who do all those things, you know, um, to, to build things, but no code anything really has has opened the horizon for many of us to do things quicker and we can pull on those people when it's when we actually need them not the the standard kind of things uh, and i'm thinking about even my podcasting career right i mean i create everything in canva i'm not a designer right but that's the example on the design side i can do it but i still work with a designer too just not on changing your headshot to somebody else's in my 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 graphic right i don't need a use a designer for that. 
But let's dive into that a little bit more. When you talk about no code, what does that mean in this scenario? Like how how does that practically look? Yeah. So even even thinking about traditional BI tools, when you're creating a bar chart, generally there's no code, right? You're saying, I want this field on the x-axis, this field on the y-axis, boom, I have a, a bar chart. But to get to the level of having values that are dimensions and measures that can be put onto a chart still does require a lot of code from those traditional sources. So right, bringing the data sources together, creating a data model that can then have dimensions and measures, that still requires code. So you can have a visualization layer, no code, and just drag and drop things. That's been around for a while. Um, but what's what's more interesting, I think, is the automation of those tasks that used to require code that you don't even have to think about anymore, right? So bringing data together doesn't really require any code because there's pre-built integrations. Um, then building out data models doesn't require any code because you can create configurations and then you know our platform or any other platforms can also um, then build out that data model using the configuration. So the drag and drop style stuff that you, you might uh, build. So that's really, I think the differentiator here is code, no code has been around for a while, right? It's, it's kind of the marketing term and I'm sure you're, you're very well aware of picking up the new marketing term du jour. Um, and so I think people are leveraging that concept around the drag and drop editors that have been around for a while, but now we're starting to add more automation because we have better tools, more artificial intelligence, um, that we can truly do more of the complex work without you having to understand the complex concepts. And that's where we're starting to see BI tools shift and change to things like verb versus, you know, traditional BI tools. It's very interesting. It's just very fascinating to me how, how things have evolved. And I'm always a fan to, to figure out how, do, you know, what's, what's the latest thing? How do we make it easier? How do we measure things better? Which, of course, always leads me to the question. And I, I you know, even people ask me, even in content, which is a little, I want to say fluffy, but it's not like one good piece of content leads to one sale or 10 sales, right? Like sometimes you don't even know what led to the sale, but certainly it has an impact. But people always want to know the ROI of everything, right? So having a visual dashboard, does that help um, explain the ROI or does it help get a better ROI? Or what's the impact? I guess that's my, my, my real question. Yeah. What's the impact on ROI when it comes to these visual dashboards? Yeah, you, you serve that up on a nice silver platter for me. Um, what, you know, the old adage in, in SaaS is, right, dashboards sell SaaS, right? So they sell software. Um, and so looking back on my experience in this software as a service space, I've been a product manager at a handful of companies. So I'd go to my customers in the B2B enterprise space and they'd say, hey, I want a dashboard so I can see metrics, right? I can show my boss the performance we're getting by using your software. And then I would go to my sales team and say, hey, they, they would come to me actually, right? And they would say, hey, if I had a killer dashboard, I would crush my sales quota. Like that would make my demo so much better. I could sell this thing to Eskimos. And then I'd go to our engineering team and they'd be like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit here uh, because this is the, the process of building this dashboard actually is very expensive. And so when we think about the value of dashboards in software as a service in the B2B enterprise space, um, it's really valuable for a couple of reasons. One, it, it shows the performance of what's happening inside of the platform, right? Most SaaS is workflow based, right? You are 
you know, SAS version one was take Excel and bring it online and put a process to it, right? And so you wanted to show metrics around how fast is this new process? How much more money are we making because of this new process, et cetera, right? So that shows the value of a software that we are providing back to the customers who are paying us, right? We're making you faster. We're helping you make more money so you can pay us some money, right? But then the other part is, is it gets other people in the company involved in that software, involved in that process. So if you think about um, Uber Eats is a good example, right? So if you are a restaurant owner and you're getting orders through Uber Eats and you might have multiple locations, right? Um, you know, if I'm a store manager, I see my performance of my location, but maybe I have a boss who owns all three locations and I, he's not in the Uber Eats every day because he's focused on other strategic things. But then I can show him, hey, Uber Eats is giving me or giving us, you know, 10 orders a day and that's bringing in this much extra revenue. And so you're starting to get, you know, decision makers in more involved in the, the software, more involved in the process, showing the value of your platform because you're giving them quick, easy output. So that's really how we think about the ROI of dashboards is, right, it shows the value that you're providing, but it also gets more you know, decision makers, more valuable people in the platform to kind of continue to see what value you're providing. And it certainly makes that easier because it's all in one place. It's visual. And and certainly we have seen that evolve over the years too. Now, the one thing I really liked, and I've never thought of it this way, even though I am in SaaS myself in my day job, but um, most SaaS cases are workflow-based. I've never thought of it that way, but that is very true, Right. Uh, but when I think about my workflow, I'm wondering what your experience has been around people not wanting to mess with their perfect workflow, or they'll call it perfect. Yeah. But I might, when I look at it, say that's totally inefficient. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. a few years ago, I worked with a content team and they were still editing their content on paper, which is crazy, honestly, to do that in today's world. Uh, in fact, I say you should you edit your content in the CMS, don't even use Word, don't even use Google Drive, go wherever it is it needs to go. Um, but people are very protective of their workflows, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Whether they're good or bad, but they are what they are. So uh, has that, does that come up and how do you overcome that if it has? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, right? Flexibility is really important in, in workflow in general, um, but also how people operate. And then the more flexible your system is, the harder data analytics becomes because now you have lots of different data structures that you have to manage and report back out on. And so giving more flexibility to your end customer is, you know, generally a good thing. It's, you know, it's a, but it's a can of worms. Um, and so what we're seeing in the, in the market today um, is data architecture or, you know, and software architecture in general, while it's becoming easier to build software, the architecture behind that is becoming more and more complex because people are demanding more flexibility because software development is becoming more modular, right? You're using lots of different tools to build one platform. You might be using, you know, AWS, um, you know, other plugins for authentication, things like that. So your data is scattered. So you need to bring that together. Um, so all that flexibility does make presenting data back to end customers much more difficult. So people are delaying that or, right, they're going to have to charge more for access to that level of data to make it the ROI work out for them. Um, so that's definitely where we come in and try to help quite a bit. 
And just a friendly reminder to everyone watching on the live stream, you can comment on the live stream and just uh, send over any questions or thoughts or or even just say hello. We always appreciate it. Um, it when you, if you're listening on the podcast channel, it's just a friendly reminder, the video version of this, if you want to look at our um, smiling faces, is now available on Spotify. So if you're listening on Apple, Spotify has the video version in addition to the audio version only. So the one thing I really... I, I really like what you just said there about technology has been easier than ever to build. And it's so true, but content has been easier than ever to create, right? So, I mean, anybody can now create content doesn't mean they're creating good content. Uh, So certainly you've built a successful company there. And I'm, I'm very interested to find out, like, what's behind it? What prompted you to do it? What's your great founder story or or? Or, you know, what, how did it start? Give us, give yeah. us a quick overview of the history. Definitely. So I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, right? My background is in uh, product management. So um, I've, I, I first, I met my co-founder, Oleg. He, he's the CTO. I'm, I'm the CEO and head of product here at Verb. And I met him about 12 years ago at a company called Onesys. And we did online ordering for restaurant chains. So if you ever ordered from Applebee's, Outback, Panera, that was a software Oleg actually built with two friends while they were in college. Um, and so I, I joined there actually in customer success. We didn't have any product management at the time. So I kind of got lucky and fell into it. Um, and so there, right, we were doing lots of transactions for the world's largest restaurant brands. Um, and so visualizing data, sharing data back to our customers was really important. Um, and so, but we, we always kind of struggled with it because everybody's data looks different. Um, the data sizes were massive um, and it was only showing part of the picture, right? If you think about this back in 2012, online ordering made up maybe 10% of these brands revenue and their orders. Uh, Now it's looking like 50, 60%, but right. That's only a part of the picture of the data. So we can show the value we provided of that 10%, right? So we, we captured this many orders yesterday, but we don't help complete the picture of, these orders plus your in-store orders plus orders from a different, you know, phone orders, things like that, right? Um, and so we always struggle with it there. And we, we've evolved and we, we built a couple other companies, Oleg and I, and we same the same kind of problems, right? Where um, customers wanted it, you know, this, the size of the data was always kind of a problem. The, the work to get to the data model that really worked well for our customers took a lot of time and it was really inefficient. Um, but what we noticed was it was the same process every time, right? Just a little bit of a different problem, maybe a bar chart versus a pie chart or things like that. But the steps to go from our production data into a, a nice, clean data warehouse was fairly similar. And so we thought, well, you see a similar process that's like repeatable. We could automate that. And so that's really where we, we came in. What we saw in the market was you know, a lot of great visualization tools, traditional BI tools. And then there's lots of little point solutions along the way to do this and do that and do this. But there was no tool that really kind of automated the end-to-end process that solved that problem. So that's really where our focus has been is solving the really challenging problems. Um, And then obviously providing really nice no-code dashboard building solutions on top of that. But we really sell on our automated infrastructure more than we do on anything else. That's our secret sauce. I mean, I'm a big fan of, I'm sure you are familiar with, um, I'm a big fan of automation. Uh, I actually think one of my automated emails came to you and then somebody on your team says, hey, uh, Dave is responding to your email. And I'm thinking, what email? 
of course I wrote that email, right? But I didn't write it in that moment. It's this, yeah, everybody yeah. gets the same emails based on timing. So yes, my friends, automation is so important. Um, my perception is that, well, my perception is that everything is difficult, <laughs> even the stuff that's supposed to yeah. be easy, right? It's like, oh, that's supposed to take, that's a 30 minute task. So how can I spend a day on it? Oh, because we uncovered this other stuff. So how difficult is it actually to implement a dashboard and, and get it up and running? And, and maybe if you can tie in there too, the importance of strategy. So, I mean, I can measure all kinds of different things, right? I mean, yes, everybody wants revenue. Uh, I get it, but there's other things to measure along the way. How mm -hmm. important is it to, to even know what you want to have in that dashboard? And then how long can we expect that it takes to implement and be up and running uh, and, 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 you know, whatnot? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, I was reading an article recently and, um, Basically saying, right, the advent of data cloud data infrastructure, data lakes, data warehouses, people just said, awesome, we can collect massive amounts of data for very cheaply, right? So everybody just started pumping data into lakes, into warehouses, all these things. And now they're like, okay, well, we spent a lot of money doing that. What's next? Like, we haven't done anything with the data. We just figured out how to capture it. Um, and that that's kind of a backward, it's kind of backwards, even though it feels like, okay, let's capture it and then figure it out. The way we talk to our customers when we're working through onboarding, when we're working through kind of getting their version one up is what's important. Like what are the key metrics you are graded on, right? If we're thinking about Uber Eats, um, what are the key metrics that they're graded on? That's going to keep their customers, or their restaurants on the platform, right? It's going to be number of orders, right? Revenue, maybe even page views, right? So how much more marketing are we getting for you? And so that's really the first step is what's the point? What, what are those metrics that you want to be graded on that you want to show back to them? But the other part is what is the process in which people are going to use these data experiences or these analytic experiences, right? So if you've got a dashboard inside of your Uber Eats app um, and there's no other way to access that data, then that person who owns three locations has to go to every single location, log into their iPad app, open up Uber Eats and say, okay, that was my revenue from yesterday. But if that owner really wants to see the data in QuickBooks and you know, match that data up with his other you know, point of sale data for all, all three restaurants, that's how he wants to work with that data. So he's still grading Uber on revenue orders, marketing traffic. But the process is different from looking at it on his iPad. He wants to see that in QuickBooks. And so we really talk about those two pieces first. And then you can work backwards from there because you know what data is necessary to feed those metrics and in the process. Then you're going to know, okay, do I need to add, do any math on this data? Do I need to transform the data? And then you can optimize it for speed, right? You can, you can pre-aggregate it to make sure that it's, showing by day or by hour or whatever the, the best way to show that data is for the restaurant owner. And then the last piece is actually building the output, right? If it's a visual dashboard in the iPad app, great, that's what you can build. But if the process is inside of QuickBooks, maybe you wanna build an API connector that pushes data into QuickBooks to be able to manage it there. So that's how we really think about it. I think we released an article recently about starting at, go, working backwards essentially, right? Starting at the end, and then going to the beginning from there. Uh, and that's really how we, we coach our, our customers on. 
going backwards. And of course, the other thing I really appreciated there is the whole notion of timelines. How do you look at it? I mean, I've looked at data. I was like, this timeline is horrible. doesn't make any sense because it's too short, right? Yeah, and in yeah. some instances, it might be too long. But if it's too short, like you can't see any trends. You can't figure out if that's good or bad or or there was a holiday. And your company, your industry on a holiday, revenue might be down. So why would I even look at that? And why would I even care? Uh, Dave, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all this information. Verbdata.com. You can check out the company. You can get a demo and go from there. But in the last um, 60 to 70 seconds here or so, as the final word, tell us, what do you th- what, what does the future look like for these kind of tools? What uh, what do we expect down the road uh, and, and how, how will they evolve? Yeah, I think what we're seeing today over the, the last two years during the pandemic, we, we saw this concept of the modern data stack kind of get some popularity. And that really was a lot of point solutions. And so what we saw was, you know, buying five or six tools to go through um, you know, raw data through an output. We're seeing some co- consolidation there to help with this automation process. So um, teams are really strapped. It's really hard. The labor market's very hard to find data engineers engineers with, with this specific skill set. So I think what we're seeing is more and more automation in this space that requires less you know, sophistication. Um, so you can understand what you need your outputs to be and tools will start kind of doing the work for you. So that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing more automation, more artificial intelligence layered in. And then the last thing is augmenting your data. So, right, you might have first party data uh, about the orders for Uber Eats, but then there's third party data that might be around weather and things like that. So really layering in more insightful data on top of just first party data. Fantastic. Always nice to look into the future. Thanks again for joining us. You bet. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the